right? I don't know about you guys. It's a pump-up song. I'll try not to disappoint. We'll see here. Um, so, yeah, this year is a year of sacrifice, right? And we've had some good intro sermons. We've had some talk about, um, yeah, like last month was entitlement, and we've just been exploring these kinds of things. Um, this month is based on value and exploring value and blessings. Like, how do we value the blessings that we have? I don't know if it's... There you go. Okay. How we value the blessings that we have. And this is particularly fitting, right, for the topic of sacrifice for the year because sacrifice isn't a sacrifice unless it's something of value, right? Like when David wanted to offer a sacrifice to his God, he wasn't content on just taking somebody else's um, land and grain and oxen and things like that um, that was offered to him for free as a place where he could offer sacrifice, but he wanted to pay for it because he recognized coming from the position of God's own heart that sacrifice isn't really a sacrifice unless it costs you something, unless you understand its value, right? This month, that's what we're going to be talking about is where does this value come from and how does that translate to the blessings that we observe God giving us. Everything that God allows, both enjoyable and difficult, are indeed blessings, right? Like we've covered recently. And we see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Because we know that God uses all things even evil intentions, for example, for our good. The men recently learned about this as we're going through Genesis, right? When we're talking about Joseph and how he was thrown into a hole by his brothers and their evil intentions. And God turned that around and used that for the good of not just him, not just his family, but even the entire surrounding area that he was in. God was using that Overall, even for the bigger picture of his will, he set up the entire environment for the whole rest of the genesis and the, the maturing of the Jewish people for them to come out and become his people, Israel. Um, but these blessings, both positive and negative in appearance, are only blessings under certain circumstances. Notice that that verse says, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's not just that everybody everywhere, all the good things and the bad things that happen to them are blessings. They're not. They're only blessings for those who are loving God and called according to his purpose. Verse 29, it continues, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God, by his total sovereignty, turns all these things, both positive and negative, into blessings. When we love God, when we're called and respond according to his purpose, and if we're becoming his brothers and sisters, becoming like the son of God, right? 
For example, taking a real-world scenario, you get a terminal diagnosis, right? You're going to die. Doctor says, this is it. Your days are numbered. Your hope in God's eternal promises can easily bring others to Christ, can unite a family, can encourage the body, can even improve your life as you live like you were dying. Y'all listen to country? Tim McGraw. That song is, I don't know how I feel about it, um, but there's some lines in there that ring true. It says, and I love deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying, right? These things, as we live like we're dying in this terribly negative scenario, gives us a whole new enrichment of life that a person may live more in three months of their life than they lived for the entirety of their previous life, wasting it and not understanding where their value came from and what God values, right? Even positive blessings, strangely enough, are negative if you don't see them from the lens of God as somebody who loves God and are called according to his purpose and respond to his purpose and are becoming like his son. When we get blessings that everybody sees as positive, you know, raise and stuff and a family and like all these things, you consume, you self-inflate, you run off course further than you were before when good things happen to you. You know, the wealthy are some of the saddest people in the world. The blessing becomes a trap, a stumbling block, if you will. Only in keeping Jesus Christ as your teacher and master and savior, do you actually allow these blessings to benefit you in reality. Stay tuned next week for what that looks like in terms of how that translates to the practical. But we have to ask ourselves today, as we head into this discussion on value, are we really loving God and responding to his call according to his purpose and not our own? If so, we're right to have a confident hope and a powerful faith in God's promise to bless us in everything, both positive and negative. But if you honestly can't say that, then you'd better change course and get back on the path, right? Get back on that path to God and own this promise from God to you. It is a promise that each of us can count on. Not only must we be actively following God to fulfill the blessings that God intends for us, but we also must build our very understanding of value on the foundation that God has laid for us. Okay, let me repeat that. So when we reflect on this and what's valuable in our, in our lives, um, yeah. not only must we be actively following God, is what I said, not only must we be actively following God to fulfill the blessings that God intends for us, but we must also build our very understanding of value itself on the foundation that God has laid for us. As we see it right now in our day, in our lives. So when we reflect on what's valuable in this life, we need to start as deep as God's own design for value and blessings coming from Him, His design, His intention, His laying out of that. And where 
that value and blessing comes from rather than our own shallow and arbitrary view of what is good, what is a blessing, quote-unquote. So let's not be like the non-believers and many Christians for that matter, right? Who distort value and contort blessings in accordance with the world, in accordance with that pattern that's been taught to us. God determines what's valuable and therefore what is a blessing to. A winning lotto ticket could be toilet paper to somebody who doesn't know what to look for, right? It would be life-changing, worldly example, obviously. It would be life-changing, but is treated as disposable instead. Recognizing God's true value is essential. Recognizing true value by God's own design is even more life-changing than the millions of dollars of the toilet paper lottery ticket, right? So let's not be like the non-believers who take the existence of value for granted and degrade it to rest on self, where value is rested on themselves. Let's not be like the non-believers who pretend like blessings and stand, are standalone or random events of happenstance either. Right? These things have a specific origin for their value and a function for that value. The Creator, from the very beginning, made us in His image. This is you know, repeated over and over and over again, but there's a reason why the Scripture starts out with that. It's incredibly important. He also made everything else in existence as an artist, and he declared it good. Notice that both elements made in his image and God creating the rest of the world and declaring it good, both elements are an extension of God and his character, a moral, a moral character, if you could say. There's a value ascribed to those things. Apart from God, there's a lack of value, even for us, or more accurately, a negative value. We're created good with a positive value, but apart from God, in rebellion to God, it changes. We're made with God's image and design and granted power. And this power and value doesn't go away, but it flips to the other side. It flips to negative. It doesn't just become zero. It goes to negative. There's still power to it because it's in our essence, in our nature. But it flips to negative. So we must look to God to figure out the very foundation of what's valuable, what is really worth something for us in this world. Our era is one of spiritual orientation, though, in this time, this place, in our world before God. It's one of spiritual focus and orientation as far as where we're coming from as believers. And so is God's position on blessing. God historically operated um, the opposite of human tradition and wisdom. You know, the first will be last and the last will be first. He flips things. So we, wanna, we want to now ascribe things to the physical even today, but he flips it so that the spiritual is back to the, to the way that it should be in terms of the original wisdom of his creation. He used to be physical, but Jesus taught that same pattern as a spiritual promise to us in the New Covenant. The Old Covenant with the Jews was a physical covenant. 
right? He designed it and made it with physical, physical requirements and consequences. His old agreement with the Jews when he brought them out of Egypt and even before that. Circumcision was the very first example of this. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, it says, From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And in verse 14, it says, Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. This is one example, but it's an extremely significant example, and it's repeated throughout Scripture as a representation of something bigger. Then came, with the Jews, then came sacrifices, right? And the law of Moses, with all this stuff that came with it, all these physical requirements and physical consequences. The Jews, if they were God's people and followed all these things, they had physical blessings. They had God's presence with them. They had all these things. But if they didn't, then they were cut off from those blessings until they came back to him. The covenant promised that God will make Abraham, with circumcision, uh, the father of many nations, and Yahweh will be the God of those nations, and the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and everybody that were to follow, follow after. That physical covenant was still based on faith, right? Abraham had faith before he was circumcised. <clears throat> even though uh, God made that promise to Abraham, even though none of these things had really come into fruition yet. God came and presented it to him, no strings attached. He said, all you have to do is abide by these things and believe me. And then those, that covenant then um, transitioned into having those physical confirmations of it. So, in that scenario with Abraham, even though Abraham hadn't received his promised blessings, <clears throat> not even his promised son Isaac yet, they weren't even pregnant yet, Genesis 17.23 says that on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought, and then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God had told him. I want to point out that this step of faith on Abraham's part is no small matter, you know? These were grown men. These were not surgical knives with anesthesia and all these things. These were knives literally made of rock, you know? Flint knives that they're supposed to be circumcising themselves with. If that ain't faith, I don't know what is. Before he'd received anything, before he'd received his son, he was just talking to God face to face, and God said, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. I'm going to be your people. You will be my people and I will be your God. But the agreement, in terms of its mechanics, operated entirely in the physical realm. Romans 2.25, Paul says, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than the uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For, if, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision, 
No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change, a circumcision of the heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Is Paul preaching a new version of the law? You know, Paul was a Jew. He was one of the best Jews out there. And he's acknowledging that the law used to be this physical mechanic with all these physical requirements, but he met Christ and had a close relationship with him and was given wisdom and understanding of what's going on with this, along with the rest of the apostles. And they were preaching a unified message of this. It's not a new version of the law. He's preaching Jesus Christ. Dying for our sins and reconciliation and being resurrected to power and glory. For our confident hope that we will be brought to him, Jesus teaches to the heart constantly as it's being transitioned from circumcision of the body of the penis to the heart. And Jesus demands that it bear fruit, for the record, in the real world. But under Christ as our head, we aren't promised, you know, an enduring physical legacy of these things or blessings and wealth and land and all this stuff. We are promised everlasting life from this circumcision of the heart. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Sorry. <laughs> if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Wow, that's an intensely bold statement. And Paul confirms it in Romans 10, verse 9, where we see, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. He doesn't emphasize the physical consequences of this covenant, of this new covenant through Jesus Christ, but spiritual consequences, right? Warning us of our choices and the consequences that result from the orientation of our hearts in terms of whether we are accepting Jesus Christ and moving in the direction of becoming like him. Not following the letter of the law like all the Jews were used to, that they had this established system for, but moving toward God, presenting a circumcised heart, and seeking what's of real value. Jesus does a lot of teaching of what's of real value, of what the heart looks like, as opposed to all the particular mechanics, though he calls people to fulfill those as a response of the heart. Another way 
to say it is that Jesus redirected our sense of value from physical benefits of God's old covenant to the spiritual benefits and blessings through Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's an element of, in there of following the law and obeying God's commandments and obeying Jesus' commandments. But the focus of where the value in that lies has been shifted and has a heavy emphasis now on the kingdom of heaven. Jesus fulfilled the law for us, which we could never do, not even close, so that we may come to him by circumcision of the heart instead of the penis, instead of coming through all these steps and mechanics and all these things, and instead of focusing on the micro-picture of you know, checking our boxes, but instead understanding the real value that God is offering and where that comes from and being able to follow through with that. Sort of like the Jacob and Esau scenario, right? Where he didn't, Esau didn't recognize the value of God's blessing and he, was, he suffered major physical consequences for that when he, didn't, when he gave his blessing away for a meal. We're not called to do that. We're called to fully embrace and understand the value <clears throat> that God offers us and where that comes from. By our orientation toward God, not our obsession of the law, nor our physical benefit, so we can work for his glory, not for the sake of working for doing the individual good works and, and checking our boxes and trying to do these things by our own power, but so we can return to the pure faith of Abraham, but this time with the benefit of knowing Christ intimately and the understanding that comes from him. <clears throat> this time we don't inherit many nations or wealth, but the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those who serve well are given special honor, the scripture, the scripture says. Not here, but eternally in heaven. Jesus warns that his disciples will be stripped of their possessions and beaten and jailed and disowned by family, slaughtered, and more. In Christ, then, what do we consider blessings? What are we left with if we're going to get all this bad stuff? It's important in the foundation of our understanding of value. What should be valuable to us according to God? Should it be what makes us happy? Should it be what sets our kids up for success and a good job and a comfortable life and all these things? Is it taking care of our responsibilities? I put that in quotes because the focus on responsibilities of the mechanics of our life, of not disappointing other people, that's not where value is. Things are valuable to us only if they lead us to be called great in the kingdom of God. Everything in this world will be destroyed, and what's more valuable to you? 
a piece of fruit that you buy or the farm, a smile or the everlasting love of our Lord Jesus Christ and his provision. Almost everybody on earth takes Jesus to be a great teacher, but most reject that teaching in its essence, in its detail, in its emphasis on value and the follow-through that it demands. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us, who belong to his dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He's showered us with kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. He's offered us salvation, but also wisdom and understanding along with it. Not just how you're going to get there, you know, but the wisdom and understanding of why that works, of where that value is placed, and how we can really understand that, not just in our brain, but in our heart. He's revealed God's perspective of value to us in intimate form. Emmanuel, God with us, teaching us one-on-one about what God values. Now, how do we actually process value in real time based on this wisdom and understanding that we're going to go over later this month a little bit more? Where does our sense and understanding of what's valuable actually come from? is what I want us to really contemplate today. Not just while we think, sitting there, while we're driving, while we're lying in bed at night or in the morning. You know, where does, as you're processing value, um, not just in those places, but in in the streets, in the stress of the moment, do we forget? Where do we process that value? and where that's coming from. Do we short-circuit the thought process and land back on physical value? Or are we contemplating what is going to make us great in the kingdom of God? What is God's approval going to be? What value is he going to place on our actions and our priorities and the desires of our heart? Which scenario is more true of your actual condition? how you value things when you're laying in bed and driving around and, you know, contemplating, or how you value things in the stress of the moment, which is more accurate to where your heart is. The thought processes come from up here, but I would submit to you that the heart comes out when it's stressed, when your brain doesn't have time to think about things. Where does your processing of value really start? Peter lays it all out pretty nicely here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we've been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. 
this inheritance and all that leads up to it, all that leads to it, our hearts and the actions that represent it is what is emphasized as valuable and worthwhile in our covenant with Christ. It's something to be protected and waited for and is glorious. A huge blessing which came from Christ is that God made many of his mysteries known to us. He gave us wisdom and understanding. The simplest disciple of Christ who takes the Bible seriously and applies it to his heart has more wisdom than all the wisest people under Satan. Let's be honest. The person that the world would declare dumb has more wisdom than all the haters if that person takes the Bible seriously. Those people will be conducting business and partying until the bitter end, the scripture says. We know that stocks won't last as believers. No stocks will last. We know that our treasure in heaven from doing God's will will last, and only that. And storing treasure first requires us to know where to find the things of real value. How are you going to store treasure if you don't know where to get it? Those answers are through Jesus Christ, moving toward God on his terms, loving him by the new covenant through Christ. Fact is, we have the winning numbers to the lottery in the scripture. It's unlike the lottery, though. It's not up to chance. It's up to us. So, that is what it is. And we need to contemplate as we go into this month talking about value and blessings where it is that we really derive where we get our sense of value from as we're making our choices moment by moment, day by day, and contemplating our aspirations and plans and reactions to the moment-by-moment things. So, a few questions for us to officially discuss. When a non-believer has cool stuff, are you a little envious of them? Is it annoying that they're more blessed or successful than you in ways? And if so, what does that mean? You know, it's good to look for indications and flags in terms of understanding ourselves. When you have aspirations and make goals, where do they start from? How close do you come to going all the way back to God's nature in terms of finding the value that is in the priorities that we make and where our heart is in those actions. <clears throat> How close do you come back, going all the way back to God's nature? Where does your thought process start, is the final question. Where does your thought process start when you're trying to figure out what to do? How does your thought process change when you're stressed? Just reiterating sort of that last challenge. Where does your thought process start when you're trying to figure out what to do? And how does that thought process change when you're stressed? In terms of value.
what is going to make you great in the kingdom of God by his definition of value. Okay, let's go to 